We are in uh, the season of fall right now, and here at LBF, we have been talking about discipleship. And so for the, for the well, we're in week three of a six-week period of time where we're going to focus on what we, we believe God is leading us as a church to be involved with in this next season of time, which is discipleship. And what this means is we're asking two things of you. Let me just review what those were. Number one, pray. Pray, prayerfully go before God and ask him, who in your sphere of influence do you know that you would like to maybe be inviting into a discipling relationship, an intentional time where you get together and purposely grow in understanding what it means to follow Christ. And that can be someone you know, that can be someone who you know you may say, hey, this is a guy or gal I could learn from and so hi, I'm gonna use this time for that. Or it could be someone that maybe you know is is a fairly new Christian, you go, I'm going to spend time with them, or, or maybe it's a peer, peer relationship, and you guys, I know we both want to grow in our relationship with Christ, and so I'm going to invite that person, and uh, then you can go, and whatever person you start meeting with, we have this little card, maybe you saw it when you came in, there should have been a table out there, probably wasn't, was there a table out there with these cards on there, and uh, on the back are the two curriculum that you can go through and, uh, and, and use to help do this. So I'm in week three of the person I'm meeting with, I'm using one of the it's really great. We've had a good time. We sit down and chat, and there's nothing like sitting down and beginning to open up with your life and then around the curriculum and how it guides you and how it helps you get focused on the scriptures and then taking action with those. So, hey, I'm enjoying my time. I hope you will get connected before too much longer. Uh, By the way, The second thing we're asking you to do is to listen to our, say this real fast, Christian Contrast Podcast. You can't say it fast. Anyway, these are new podcasts that are coming down. We're we're releasing six of them, and uh, this week will be number three. And the subject for this week has to do with those obstacles, identifying and removing those obstacles that get in the way of you trying to get into this intentional relationship. What are the things that are hindering this, this whole process from happening? By the way, if you need help finding how to get a podcast, we have some techie people out there. They'd love nothing more than to help you get into that podcast. That will make their day, okay? They may even invite you to lunch or something like that if, if, you, if you let them help you get, a, a, get through with the podcast. You know, what I think about here at LBF is just this great opportunity, and who knows how many small groups of two or three would be, would be out in our community on any given week, different days of the week, different times of the week, and they're meeting. I know we, my guy I met with was in a restaurant and we were sitting there quietly at 6.30 in the morning and having a good time together. And I just go, how many of those are gonna be all over our valley? And we're just gonna have an opportunity to uh, see God grow us as individuals. I hope you'll take advantage of that. So this is week three. As we're getting into this this week, uh, I've been thinking about the passage that I have and kind of reflecting on some things that I noticed that were part of a person's life years ago. Now I'm talking years ago, long time ago, like in 1971 when I was in the military. When I was in the service, this was not an all-volunteer service, okay? It's like the draft happened. I wasn't really happy to be there, but I was there, you know, that kind of time in life. Well, I saw that many guys and gals who, who were kind of short-timers, they were, they, were, they were almost out. They were getting ready to be discharged, and they had what I, what I call the short-timers disease. Anybody know what that is? 
You've lived in another context, maybe, a short-timer's disease. I mean, you could always tell when the soldier was getting close to their time being discharged because they had this disease. They would skip PT formations. You guys know what that is? Gals know what that is? Physical therapy, I mean, physical exercise. (laughs) Physical exercise. Yeah, physical training is what it was. You know, you get in a line, do all these exercises, a bunch of other people. They would skip those. Or when they come, they go, okay, well, I guess I got to do this again. You know, they just really weren't into it at all. And then when they went to their job, whatever their job was, they do it kind of lazy, half-hearted way. I mean, they were probably thinking, what are they going to do to me? I'm I'm a short timer. I mean, they're not going to get too hard on me. I think they felt like they had done their time and, and, and they were over this for right now. They were getting ready to go home. They'd been there. They'd done that. I'm going to take a break from military service. Maybe not everyone has that, but I know there were a lot of guys and gals that did. And so, so as I thought about this and what we're talking about today, I had this question for you. And it's a question for me. How many of us have a short timer's attitude towards our pursuit of God? How many of us? I mean, we've gotten to the point in our Christian walk where we feel like we've done our part, we've been there, we've done that, we've made the grade, we know what we need to know, and now we're skating by with with little or no desire and little or no drive, really, to know Christ. Maybe we don't read our Bible as often. Maybe we don't read it at all. Maybe we have to dust it off when we read it because it's been that long. I don't know. We don't feel like we need to show up at church very often. By the way, I'm glad you're here this morning. It'd be really boring if you weren't here with me right now. But maybe you don't feel like you have to show up that often. And maybe you've been in a life group and it didn't go well or maybe it went well and you kind of said, well, you know, when Phil gets up here and talk, I've done that already. I don't think I need that anymore. Short timer's attitude. I mean, we know that God loves us. We know that we're going to heaven. And when it comes to our spiritual life, we say, you know what, I'm just okay. I'm just okay. And we really have no goals as far as spiritual growth goes. Or The only clear goal we had that we remember was, I'm gonna receive Jesus, I'm gonna get my salvation, and I'm gonna go to heaven. Now, I'm not trying to belittle that experience, that significant spiritual experience of salvation. But if it all stops there, could this be the reason why many believers are unmotivated to walk with Jesus in everyday life? And is that all that Jesus called us to, was to receive him for our salvation and just look forward to heaven? Have we got a short-timer's attitude when it comes to our pursuit of God? So we're continuing our series today. It's called The Discipleship Project. I get to do week three. Here we are today. And I want to try and work through that that question a little bit. We're going to use Philippians chapter three. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter three. We're going to do three verses, 12, 13, and 14. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or Philippians or all that, I just want you to know it's written by Paul. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was one of the apostles. And and that, that has some context to it. And, and with Paul, he would go around the Mediterranean area and he would start churches. He would establish brand new churches. You could call him a church planter. And he would start from scratch. And what he's doing here is he's already started this Philippian church and they got some things going on that they need a letter from him to encourage them in and to help them in. And we're going to learn from that by having be encouraged as well. We're going to see that Paul As he talks about himself in these verses, he'd never be considered as a short-timer. He wouldn't have the short-timer's disease when it comes to spiritual life, spiritual pursuits of God. In fact, we're gonna see this. We're gonna see that being a disciple of Jesus is really a lifelong pursuit. Living 
as lifelong learners of Jesus. I, I like to be a learner my whole life with regard to all aspects of life, but here we are going to talk about being a lifelong learner of Jesus. So you got your passage, Philippians chapter three. Let me read through these three verses and then we're gonna talk about them. Verse 12 says this, Paul is speaking and he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pause and pray. Father, I just want to thank you that we have at our disposal the words of you, God, that you have passed down through inspiration to many writers that have come to us in a way that we can look at them today and they can be encouragement and they can be instruction and they can be help for us to live as Jesus would like us to live. So I wanted to ask you, God, just, just to take these next few minutes and to help all of us to keep this focused, open mind on all these words that Paul wrote to us and learn how they can impact our life. I pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. So as we said, every follower of Jesus, every person who calls him or herself a Christian is to be in this lifelong pursuit of becoming like Jesus. And I thought, well, if that is true, then what does it take? What are the essentials for that to, to take place so that we can actually experience this? So I found three in our passage today. Flip your bulletin over, there's an outline on the back, and you want, if you writers or note takers, you can take notes on the back of that. But I wanna start with the first one. And I'll just give you the answer to that. It's be dissatisfied. Acknowledge that you have not arrived yet. Acknowledge that I have not arrived yet. We have not arrived. Now Paul was a great example of this. I mean, to those early people in, in Philippi, he probably looked like the spiritual answer to everything. I mean, he was the one that brought them the good news of Jesus Christ. He was the one who started that church, established the leaders and helped it grow. He was the one also who had a run-in with some government officials who threw him into jail. But he was also the one who came out on top because he converted a jailer in the process. I go, he was a giant to those guys. And here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. So the first thing we gotta ask is, what is all this? Well, what is it that he hasn't attained? Well, what is, what is this goal that he's at, after that he hasn't arrived at yet? Well, we gotta back up a couple of verses. We go back to verse 10, where he answers that question very simply. In verse 10, you'll see it on the screen behind me. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I wanna know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And he goes on to share some other things. The foundation though is that Paul's main goal in life was to know Jesus Christ. And Paul made knowing Jesus the most important thing because he thought nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus was the most important thing to him. To know Jesus was Paul's greatest pursuit. It was his greatest passion in life. It was the goal that drove him, that, that motivated him in everything he did, every aspect of his life was, what would Jesus teach me in this process? 
He wanted to know Jesus in the very personal ways, in the very practical, everyday ways. He wanted to experience that spiritual power and freedom that was promised and this joy that comes as we live in the light of a future resurrection. He wanted to have the attitude that Jesus had when Jesus faced difficult times. Paul faced a lot of difficult times. He wanted to have that attitude. Now here, I submit to you this morning that this is also God's main goal for those of us who are followers, who are Jesus followers, who are Christians. To know Jesus, you see, supersedes everything else we may set out to do in this life. And this knowing of Jesus goes way beyond our beginning stages of receiving him as the savior of our life. To know Jesus is far greater than the career goals we have. See, every day when you and I get out of bed, our main goal for the day is to take our life, take our work life, our school life, our our home life, every aspect of our life and say, God, I wanna know you better through Jesus so I can live this life the way you would want me to live it. Not that I have already attained it, Paul said. I haven't arrived at my goal yet. I love how Paul was honest with his walk with Jesus. I mean, he doesn't claim to be perfect, that he has made it as a Christian and he has arrived. You know, he's a guy that wrote a large portion of the New Testament. You would think, okay, this guy's got his act together. But Paul is still seeking to grow in this relationship with Jesus, to learn more, to respond better, to obey Jesus faster, to to experience more of life and joy and hope that he wanted to experience. Now he's still in that spiritual growth journey, like you and I are still in that spiritual growth journey, but he has a long way to go. We have a long way to go. I mean, how many of us today could confidently raise our hands and say, I've arrived. That's not me. I'm I'm just modeling that for you, but that's not what, (laughs) I'm glad no one put their hand up. Because we haven't arrived. I mean, we can't say that. You see, the the mark of being on the road to spiritual maturity is this fact. The fact that the closer that you and I come to Christ, the more we get to know him and experience him, the more spiritually aware we are that we still have a very long way to go. Maybe some of you have experienced that. None of us have arrived. Listen, we have our salvation, we have the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Spirit to help us live our life, to to overcome the temptation to sin, to develop our character, to develop our Christ-likeness, to develop our obedience to Jesus, to live this spiritually victorious life as we look forward to eternity, but we haven't arrived. In fact, we won't arrive until Jesus comes back a second time. Don't let that discourage you. Let's just move forward, all right? It's a dissatisfaction that just acknowledges we have more to learn, we have more to apply, we have more to grow in. Dissatisfaction. Maybe some of you are sitting there and you go, about now you're saying, well, Gary, why? Why why should I live as if I'm dissatisfied? What, What, really? Is that what you're asking? Why can't I just pursue the things everyone else pursues? You know, I want want to live the American dream. I I want things like comfort, and I want ease, and I want to have some fun in life, and I just want to keep things the way they are. You know what, Gary? In fact, sometimes those short-timers, they have a pretty good thing going, maybe. I don't know if that's you, but here's the answer that I have to that question. Why do we live in a dissatisfied? Because becoming a Christian has given you a total, new, complete assessment on life, on what is really important in life. 
You are now, if you're a Christian, a new creation spiritually. You have been given the opportunity to have this restored relationship with the God of all creation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Peter, who was also a follower of Jesus, who lived on this earth, when Jesus lived on this earth, walked with him. Peter wrote this. He says, his, meaning God's, divine power has granted us everything we need for godly life. How? Through the knowledge of him. Getting to know Christ. Getting to live with him. He's given us, he says, these very great and precious promises. Why? So that we may participate with the divine nature of God. That's pretty powerful, would you say? That we get to participate with the divine nature. And then the last part is something we all want. So that we can escape the corruption of the world. Man, I'd love to escape the corruption of the world. I know we have to live in the midst of that. Listen, we have received a personal connection with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. He will never leave us, no matter what it is, no matter how scary our situation. Through receiving of the Holy Spirit, we have this guidance for living. We receive this ability from the Holy Spirit that is supernatural. We, we're able to, well, we're able to overcome sin. We couldn't do that before. We live with this ability. We live in the happiness. We can live with happiness on this earth because why? We have a peace. We have a peace with God first. We have a peace with other people. We have a peace and a future hope. We can actually live without worry. And we need that in this uncertain world. A lot of things to worry about in our own lives, in our family lives, in the world. How can we live, how can we not live as though we want, we don't want more of God's gift to us? We should live as if we want more of that. How can we be satisfied with the kind of life that was, that was void of all these wonderful things before we received Jesus Christ for those who are Christians? See, spiritual growth is not optional in the Christian life. Every person who truly believes in Jesus will just desire to grow. Desire to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus because we're tired of this humanity. We're tired of all these things that have gone on in our life. Spiritual growth is absolutely necessary. Listen, for those of you who may be taking this into a place that don't need to go, listen, this is in no way connected to whether or not God loves you. God's love and presence is with us regardless of where we are at in our spiritual journey. If... It's not if you do this, God will love you more. He loves you completely already. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more. You know that he is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. This is about growing and learning from Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow, to grow, to submit to, to connect with. It's about allowing Jesus to transform and develop your character and your life. It's about aligning life's decisions with the promises and the truth that Jesus teaches about what's really important in life. It's about saying yes when that Holy Spirit, our God connection, says, go do this scary thing. Well, I've never been on a mission trip to Africa before. I don't want to go, God. It's about saying yes to things that God is calling us to, both here and and far away. It's not about having a short-timer's attitude that says, I'm just going to do my own thing, you know? I'm just gonna muddle my way through life as best as I can. I'll get up, I'll do my job, I'll love my family, I'll I'll die and I'll go on and I'll be in heaven and that will all be fine. That's not what our life is to be about. 
Now, Paul reveals even more about his approach to this kind of life with the next three words. He says, but I press on. It's four words. I press on. You know, this word press means I run, I follow after, I pursue, I chase. It's not like I'm meandering around, walking, observing, strolling. No, he runs. It's used of a sprinter, and the word means this aggressive, energetic effort. Aggressive, energetic effort. And let me just tell you, as you get older, it's hard to have aggressive, energetic effort. <laughs> okay, it is. Paul's using this athletic metaphor here. He says, I'm running after this thing with all of my might. I'm straining every spiritual muscle. I want to run to win. What's he after? He says, take hold of that for which God, through Christ Jesus, taken hold of me. Paul was certainly aware of God taking hold of him, if you know his life. I mean, he was, he was the, 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 uh, the star of the Jewish community, the scholar among scholars, he was riding along Damascus one time, securing his belief that as he goes about persecuting Christians, he was doing God a service. He thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. Then suddenly, he's blinded by this bright light. He's knocked to the ground. <laughs> there in the dust, he hears this voice of the risen Lord speaking to him. Then that moment, he realized that the Jesus he so despised was the Christ, and he realized that in persecuting that, he was persecuting Christ. And he changed and he received what God offered him through Jesus. Take hold of is a great term for what happened to Paul. I mean, he was seized with this very strong, this unbreakable grip of the Lord. Paul also knew that Jesus had a purpose for his life and seizing him. We know what it was. He made him the special teacher, messenger to the Gentile world, which that means anyone who was not Jewish was part of the Gentile world at that time. He went around, as I said, the, the Mediterranean establishing churches. Paul also knew that God had a big purpose for his life. And for the Christian, I want you to know God has a purpose for your life that's bigger and involves deeper things than what we get ourselves involved with all the time. Do you know what Jesus has grabbed hold of you for and are you grabbing hold of that? See, when we walk with God, he will lead us where we're supposed to go. Paul starts off by saying he hasn't already obtained this, this complete knowledge, this dissatisfaction in a good way of knowing he hasn't already obtained it. So let me ask you a question. I have several for us to ponder here this morning. This first one is this. Do you have a dissatisfaction for where you are in your relationship with Jesus? Have you even thought about that lately? Would you say that you are hungry to take that relationship wherever it is right now to the next level? Are you ready? Are you even thinking or willing to consider jumping into this plan we have, not a program, but a plan where you find someone to meet with and work through some material together, including the scriptures, and do some intentional things to grow in becoming more like Jesus? Let me just let you ponder on that as I go down to number two, the second, the second essential. It's another D word, be devoted. It's about devotion. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's just repeating himself. He says, okay, I just want to remind you where I was at, where I'm at. And then he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and I'm straining towards what is ahead, he says, I press on. 
See, Paul was a man with a single focus, a single purpose, a complete devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew he hadn't attained that perfection, and he actually lived in that absolute confidence of his salvation. Paul was focused on one thing, growing in the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of Jesus. He was devoted to knowing Jesus and knowing him by experience. You know, I think a single focus, I think about what's gonna happen next, next year. I think 2020, right, gonna be the Summer Olympics in Japan, and uh, every four years, whatever they have on TV, I like to watch, especially the, uh, the, uh, the, the runners. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I've always been amazed and inspired by these guys and gals who make it to the Olympics. I don't know if you get inspired by them too. I mean, many of them are just ordinary people who says, I'm gonna go try for this. You, you can, don't have to be a pro to do this, right? They're ordinary people. They have, maybe some of them have regular jobs and they have families to support. And maybe they're still pursuing their college degrees. And, and yet each one of them is singularly focused on pursuing this higher goal and that is to be an, an Olympic athlete and make it to the games. I mean, have you ever thought about this? These people invest years of their lives of time and energy and workout and focus and, and getting ready to, to be in an event that sometimes lasts 10 seconds. You know those runners, they run pretty fast, they're done, boom. 10 seconds for a short race. Or their portion of the I mean, they spend so much time. To succeed as an Olympian, you need a single focus. I love it when the camera zooms in on, on these runners, especially, you know, and they're on the blocks and they're down on their knees and they got their hands on the dirt and some are looking down at the ground and, and, and some are focused straight ahead. I mean, these runners, not necessarily looking at the crowd, hey, mom, I'm ready to run right now. You know, you know, they don't do that or they're not focused on the high jumper who's about ready to jump. They're looking straight down and they're focused on the finish line. Paul says, that's what I'm focused on. That one thing, this one thing, the finish line, and why to win the prize. We'll, uh, we'll talk about the prize in a minute. What is involved in pursuing, though, this one thing? Paul tells us. He says, focusing on what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, what does it mean to forget what is behind? He means forgetting the past, forgetting those things that are behind us. What things? Everything. Follow me with this, because there might be things you hadn't thought about. Good things, achievements, accomplishments, forget those. Great well, as well as the bad things, the, the things like sin and failure and disaster and all those things, forget it. And this forgetting doesn't mean that these things have been completely erased from our mind. They haven't, that's not possible. Obviously, Paul is not telling us not to remember anything. Certainly we should remember who we were before we received Christ. Certainly we should remember those times that we've been We've seen God's faithfulness demonstrated. Certainly we need to remember the mistakes we made so we can grow from those in the future. It's forgetting in the sense that we are no longer influenced or affected by our past. It means God doesn't, Paul doesn't allow the past to dictate what he's gonna do in the future in the negative way. Now there are two important aspects of this. First has to do with failures and the second has to do with successes. He didn't allow the fact that he had persecuted and killed Christians, his past, his giant sin in life, to affect how he was going to move into the future. And I think that sometimes many Christians can be hindered in their relationship with Jesus because they just can't let go of the past, something that happened in the past. They failed God in the past, and so they think they can't be used by God in the future, in the present. I've heard people say that in this church. 
I was sitting in a room once, hearing someone who was getting ready to move into a place of ministry who said, I didn't think I could ever be used by God again. Thankfully, they were. And if this is maybe you as well, just let me encourage you with this. First of all, if, if you are in Christ, God has forgiven you. You may not have forgiven yourself, but God has forgiven you. And God still has work for you to do. And he will never give up on you. In fact, he often uses your past failures to help you grow and move forward in the present, to forget what is behind. Here's the second thing. Don't be controlled by the past successes either. I mean, no one could have blamed Paul if he just kind of said, okay, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I'm not doing this, I, I've done this work for the kingdom of God. Look at all the churches I started. I got 10 churches I started. Wow, isn't that cool? I just started 10 churches. I mean, he's done more than any other human at that time to advance Christianity. But Paul wasn't satisfied with that. He wasn't satisfied to retire and let someone else do the work for a change. I mean, some people look back on their past successes and their achievements and their accomplishments and instead of serving God in the present, they take comfort in the fact, look what I did in the past. <laughs> I think I'm done now. That's not what Paul is saying. I mean, if that is you here this morning, we can do better than sitting around talking just about the good old days. Instead, let's focus on what God has for us now. If God has used you in the past, I've been used in the past. This is great. But let's think about where we're at now and move forward. Realize God still has stuff for us to grow in and to learn in and to work in. He still has areas of growth for you to consider. So when Paul talks about forgetting, he's telling us that we can't and must not live in the past. Don't let that stop us. Don't let that hinder us. Don't let it in any way get in the way. What happened in the past is the past, but we must keep going forward. And the second part of this says, I'm straining forward. I'm straining towards what is ahead. <laughs> the idea here is someone exerting the greatest energy or effort. We seem to hear that a lot in this passage, right? This, the energy or effort and also stretching out to the full length, stretch forward. You know when runners and they're these, these sprint runners and they're really fast and they're running as hard as they can and, and all of that and they see that finish line coming up, you know, they just don't go, okay, I made it to the finish line and they don't stop or slow down just for the finish line. What do they do? They stretch out so that they can break that plane and be the first one. Even if their feet aren't there, their top of their body's there. They're stretching, they're leaning forward. That's what Paul is trying to say here. Strain forward like that. <laughs> Doesn't sound like someone who's just kind of going through the motions with Jesus. See, Paul knew that becoming more like Jesus was really 100% God's work. But in order for that to be effective, he had to do all that he could to cooperate and connect with that work that God was doing in him. Think of it this way. I have three boats. Well, they're not really boats. There are three things that are on the water. How about a raft? What does a raft do? It sits there. It sits, it doesn't move around a whole lot. There's, it's just like, you don't, you don't do anything with the raft. It doesn't, it just sits there. And some followers are like that. There's, well, I got my salvation. I'm just gonna sit here and wait on God. But then they don't do anything. They seem to just not ever join in the work of God. And then there's a rowboat. You can picture a rowboat, right? It doesn't go anywhere unless what? There's a rower. So that can be bad too because you're in the rowboat and you're doing all the rowing and you do everything and God does nothing and you go, I, I can do everything. I don't even need God in my life. I love the sailboat though. 
If I had time, I'd tell you about a funny story about my sailing, but I don't have time. <laughs> Sailboat, you see, requires wind to fill the sails and the skill of the sailor to, to do what? To adjust the sails and to steer the boat. See, a life lived like that requires us to let God fill our sails, his wind, and empower us, but then it requires the work and the skill of us to keep the boat on course. Clearly, the sailboat is what Paul would, would focus on when he's saying, God's gonna do 100% of the work, but I gotta cooperate with that. And we here, the, we have been given this gift, this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, God in us. And the Holy Spirit inside each believer, he is our God connection, he is our comforter, he is the one who actually convicts us of sin, he is the one who empowers us to live beyond sinful lives, he is the one that gives us the opportunity to live a life that's such, that bears witness to people who go, well, you're living like what? You do what? Why do you do that? Well, Jesus is in my heart and I'm living differently. All of that work is happening. So God fills our sails with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I've said before, our job is to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, say yes, and allow us to cooperate with God and move as he directs and as he leads. There is effort in the Christian life. You are saved by grace, that's true. It's not of anything you have done so that you can't boast about that, that is true. But that does not mean there's no work for you to do afterwards. See, faith is not a decision you made in the past that has no effect on your life today. Faith is something you need to work out every day. Jesus' followers are in this lifelong pursuit of becoming like Christ. Paul's telling us, hey, be dissatisfied. Acknowledge that you haven't arrived yet. Be devoted. Focus on the one thing Forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what's in front of you. There's a third thing. Be determined. Verse 14. Be determined. Let nothing stand in your way. I press on, he says, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. I press on. This is the same word found in verse 12. It carries this idea of intense effort. A person does not become a winning athlete by listening to lectures, lectures, watching YouTube, reading books, cheering at the games. People become winning athletes by getting in the game, staying in the game, determining to win the game. 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Closing ceremonies, the Olympic Games had just finished. The spectators were beginning to pick up their belongings and leave when the PA announcer, he says, sit back down, please sit down, back down for a moment. Outside the stadium, the people could begin to hear sirens that were outside and then they saw the blue flashing lights, the, the reflection of that and, and there was this guy approaching the entrance to the stadium. This man was John Stefan Akwari, the marathon runner from Tanzania, Africa. Now, the last marathon runner had been gone. He got his award. He was done literally hours and hours ago. The medals had been awarded. He was done. Why was John Stefan Akwari so late? What went on? Well, he entered the stadium. The, the, the crowd was not confused anymore because they, they just see that he had been beat up. His bru he had bruises and, and he had blood on his body. And, and what happened is he had taken this terrible fall early on in the race. He'd been fallen down. He'd hit his head on the pavement. That was a bummer. And then he also was damaged his knee. And then before he could get up, the runners behind him started trampling him and running over on him and, and, and before he could get back up. And the crowd sees this guy in this condition and they rose to their feet and they began to cheer and clap and, and say, come on, John, finish the race. Come on, John, finish the race. And when he finished the race, 
They roared even bigger, and they never stopped clapping until he was put in an ambulance and taken to a hospital. And the next morning, a sports reporter came and interviewed him, and he asked him one question. He says, why? Why, after sustaining all kinds of injuries, would you ever get up and continue to finish the race when there was no way you could possibly win the race? Here's what Akwari said. My country did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start a race, but to finish a race. <laughs> Listen, God has not called us to just start a race. He's called us to finish the race. To finish the race even in those times where we wonder where God is. To finish the race even when we feel broken at times or beat up. We finish the race even when we feel like it may not be worth it and we're discouraged or we're run over. To finish the race. I mean, what good is it if you run a great race but then drop out before the end? See, a person becomes a disciple of Jesus by getting into the race and being determined to finish the race. And that's what we're trying to do with this plan is to help us continue to stay in the race and finish the race to win the prize. How many of you love prizes? We got a prize coming. I love prizes. I don't get them often enough. Anybody want to send a prize my way? It's okay. (laughs) Prize. Paul doesn't really identify what the prize is, but in the context of all that we're talking about, here's my best guess. My best guess is that he's referring to the full and complete knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, to be like him. We become like him. That's the prize that we get. Now, that won't happen this side of of Jesus coming back, but when we get that, it will be worth everything that we have paid or cost us to run that race. Now, listen, I've never run a marathon race, but I've been told that those first-timers, you know, the first-time people, and and they they run this race, and and it's 26 miles, by the way, and maybe a little bit more, 26-point-something to be accurate, but 26 miles, and when they get to that mile 20, it's like all of a sudden, all that fun experience, I'm running a marathon, has worn off. And they're barely putting one foot in front of the other as they finish the race. And the adrenaline which started them, you know, just doing this, this work has turned into fatigue and soreness. And, and he's walking by or maybe trotting by somebody who's dropped out or someone who's left the race. Be determined runners, keep going. That's what Paul's saying. That's why who he said he was going to be and he challenges us to do the same thing. What kind of race are you running for Jesus? What do you need this morning to get back into the race? Have you been out of the race altogether and now you just need to start over? I want to suggest this plan is not the only plan. It may not be the perfect plan, but it is a plan in which you can connect with other people in a relational context of intentionality and allow this teamwork of a couple of people and sharing your life and being honest and real and using the scriptures to grow you and to challenge you and to encourage you. You can get back in the race and you can run the race in a determined way. See, our goal is to finish the race and to avoid that short timer's disease and skip the spiritual training. We show up and we yield everything that's scary to us maybe at the time to God and say, I'm gonna trust you with this. 
to live with an awareness that I haven't arrived, and, and although I have my salvation, I'm not gonna be completely like him until Jesus comes, and in the meantime, I'm gonna concentrate on this one thing, I wanna keep devoting daily my life to Jesus, that I'm gonna live this determined way, not let anything get in the way, and in your prayer time, as you are seeking the Lord for how to participate, listen, and just do what God says. Just do what God says. Let's not fall into the short timer's attitude with our pursuit of Jesus when we say, I've done that, I've been there, I'm okay. Because the reality is we're not, if that's our attitude. We haven't arrived. Let's join what Paul was willing to say in our vernacular would be, I'm all in. Are you all in? If not, let's move towards that. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you walked in the door and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You just heard what we Christians are supposed to be about. And if this is appealing to you or you want to know more about what it means to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, take that connection card. You can see a box check on there that says, uh, I want to become a Christian or I want to learn about that. We will love to follow up with you. I've had the pleasure just in the past several weeks to talk with three people actually talk with them on the phone. They answered the phone, believe it or not, and I got to talk with them. And we got to talk about their spiritual life and help them through this. That's what we want to do for you if that's you here this morning. We're here to help. Now we're going to have a transition time because we're going to move into a time of communion. And I want us to keep this focus on Jesus as we go into this communion time. Focus on what Jesus has done for us. What he's done for us. Because Jesus was the epitome of somebody who was all in. If you're a communion server, yeah, go ahead and get in the back and get ready to go. I mean, this, Jesus was all in so much that he pleaded with the Father, hey, can you let this cross pass for me? Can you let this death that I'm gonna die for the humanity pass for me? And you know, if you've read the story, the Father said no, God the Father said no, and Jesus says, I will obey. <laughs> That's really a story of us as well in our own world. It wasn't an option for him to say no to the Father. And he ended up being an innocent person. God, the, he, was father, he was God and man, living a life and dying for us so that we might enjoy all the benefits of this spiritual connectedness we want to have with God. Think about that as we take communion today. Because we want to pause and remember this time and remember the cost that Jesus paid so that we could have this relationship and may that drive us into a desire to even be more in the race than we have been before. We're going to take a piece of bread in a moment, or cracker. It's going to represent Jesus' body that was given for us. We're doing this based upon Scripture and how it says we should do this often. We're also going to take a cup of juice, grape, grape juice, representing Jesus' blood. And, and this this. Blood represents the forgiveness of our sins. So as we sing this song, as we get served, as we take communion, let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Father, I just want to pray for our time as we move into this next section, and I want to ask you, God, to do a spiritual work in each of our lives where we're hearing you clearly, hearing you completely, hearing you in ways that we say, okay, God, I want to be a part of that. Continue to work in our hearts and minds this morning, even as we, we remember and, and in some ways celebrate the life you've given us, Jesus. Use this time to impact us in ways that we'll live throughout this next week. In Jesus' name.
Amen.